0: We've been asking this question since September of last year. Can they make a decent video game adaptation? We find out with our review of Tomb Raider. We also find out what's been going on in Russia with doping and international espionage in our cover of Icarus. And finally, we also debut our new jingle for Connect the Dots. In a cloud where there are already too many film podcasts, you have to ask yourself, what's the harm in one more? Two ordinary men, armed with unqualified opinions. Talk Filmy to Me. Hello, welcome to the Talk Filmy to Me podcast. A film podcast which is as loose-lipped as Quincy Jones, but likes to think its best years of ahead of itself, kind of like Nicolas Cage. Joining me on the pod today, it's my Han Solo to my Chewbacca, my Turner to my Hooch, my Thelma to my Louise, the gentleman whose album Lucky Dust, number one, you can find on iTunes and Spotify, John... Hello, sir. Hello. Am I Turner or Hooch? Yeah, the adorable one that makes us hairy. Oh, right.
1: No, that's good. I didn't want to have any more responsibility <laughs>
0: um, than I've got apologies to our listeners today. I've got a bit of a sniffle. Uh, last week, do you remember I bitch and moaned about the beast from the east that came over and we had the sequel <laughs> over the weekend and uh, it was basically a little bit cold and it
1: means I've got a little bit of a sniffle. Yeah. And that's. Uh... We're sharing a microphone, so I'm just uh, I'm just leaning a little further back today. Uh... <laughs> so you've got like those
0: NHS-style alcohol gel rubs of yes, yeah, nice to meet you. Rub, rub, rub. <laughs> anyway, right. shall we crack on with news? News. Right. So over the weekend. Dropped the infinity war trailer i think it's probably the big one before it drops at the end of april if you haven't seen it and you're into your marvel movies go watch it now i was absolutely starstruck i there's so many things i generally think i went through the seven stages of grief during this trailer for people who care they've probably seen it by now already there's a bit at the end where thanos confronts captain america And it's just some clever editing of how Captain America holds off the Infinity Gauntlet for a second and screams at him, kind of suggests that he might die soon. And obviously we know that the Marvel Cinematic Universe is going to come to an end, uh, or at least in its incarnation going to come to a series of changes. And this is the film which is going to kind of clear the slate. And, I mean, it'll be great to do a feature of who we think's going to get cut or who we think's going to to survive it.
1: it. Doesn't look good. What emotion did you end, end end the trailer on? There acceptance.
0: Oh. So I started off with that. No, no, this can't look. Okay, I appreciate Robert Downey Jr.'s getting old. I appreciate that it's very expensive. I also appreciate that you don't want to, You've already oversaturated the market, so you kind of want to bring it to this conclusion now. But look, you've made the film. Just shelve it for a couple of years. Just just put it and then make Iron Man four and do me another four movie of Taika Waitiki directing. And I want to see another Stephen Strange movie where all these guys are still alive. Yeah, you know, I, I went through that stage first. I then bartered. I tweeted Kevin Farge to say, come on, dude, just, just hold back for a little bit. I, I still want to see that Natasha Romanoff movie or, or that Hawkeye spin-off to, to no avail. And uh, eventually I accepted that all good things must come to an end. And this journey we all started in 2008 when Samuel Jackson walked onto set and said, surprise, motherfucker. I'm doing Avengers <laughs> concluding now so yeah it's going to be a circle of life thing I'm going to feel like all the Harry Potter people felt at the end of the last film or saying that actually speaking of Harry Potter movies um, the sequel to Fantastic Beasts dropped its trailer as well Crimes of Grindelwald or whatever they're calling it and um, it opens up with a shot of um, of Hogwarts now this is the first time in this franchise outside of the Harry Potter films and novels that they returned to Hogwarts now Everyone on Twitter went absolutely batshit crazy for this. I'm only going to say it once. You've only been one film away from Hogwarts. It hasn't been
1: that long. Really? Were you a Harry Potter man? No, I liked the first. No, definitely not a nut and I wasn't into the books either. I'm kind of jealous of the people who are because like
0: when you hear of them going to Harry Potter world and like they say, oh, we we had our photos taken (laughs) with the book and we went and drank the
1: beer that gives you heart disease. I know what you mean. It seems like such a pure love for something so uh, nice. (laughs) Yeah, no, it is. It (laughs) It doesn't do much for me. Anyway,
0: I know something you are a fan of. Danny Boyle. Oh, yeah. Right, he, uh, I don't know how happy you're going to be about Give this. Give me some Boyle news. Come Boyle on, news, the it. Boyle news, right? It's basically like a newspaper <laughs> which talks about Danny Boyle. And he, he is taking on Bond 25. He has come out and announced it. And he has also said that he is very much looking forward to the challenge and also can't wait to work with Daniel Craig. So we know it's coming. We knew, we, we've we been speculating this for a while, but it's now official.
1: Boyle's doing Bond. Well, I'm not sure. Sh- yeah, I'll watch I'll
0: watch it again then. So here's my, my take on this, is that Daniel Craig has been very fortunate to reinvent Bond probably twice so far so obviously Casino Royale absolute gem of a movie, it made us all love Bond, it brought him back to the modern era to compete with your Jason Bournes and your Mission Impossibles and everything else in between. And it kind of went off the boil a little bit with Quantum of Solace or Quantum of Sausage as uh, we kept calling it at university, but with Skyfall it was a return to form, it was absolutely fantastic and I think it's fair to say that Spectre didn't live up to the hype or the expectations, so with someone as inventive as as Danny Boyle being in the helm, I just hope he gets given the creative freedom. Because most Bond directors kind of get given the franchise and say, yep, yeah, you must operate within this little toy shop of, of opportunity.
1: Yeah, how many is he down for then? Uh, only it... one. Only one, okay. I so mean, with, with Bond,
0: you're only ever one and done sort of thing. Right. It was
1: it was really rare that, um, oh God, was it George Mendes? Mm.
0: Um, he came back for two, but that was because it was such a, Skyfall was such a success mm. that they managed to pull him back for that. But usually it's a it's a one-shot thing. How is uh
1: this is Daniel Craig's last Bond of course.
0: Yeah, and did you see, did you um, watch, I think it was the BAFTAs, he came out and presented an award. His face is becoming more and more like his waxwork every time <sighs> I see him in public. Like, he is getting past that. He's getting to that stage now where you're kind of too old to be doing it. So mm. I think this is his opportunity to really go out on a high uh, and to, to revive the franchise a little bit more before um, they go into a different direction. So, yeah, one last hurrah for Daniel Craig. And, hey... It's a Brit doing it again. It's it's Danny Boyle. Obviously, this will be the second time they've worked together. Hmm? Yep. Uh, hold on,
1: hold
0: on. Oh. Oh, sorry, I've just spoiled it for you. London 2012, the opening ceremony. Oh,
1: wow. Dan, Danny
0: Boyle was the orchestrator of the um, opening oh, ceremony. Oh, was they, amazing, wasn't it? They've done the scene with Daniel Craig picking up the
1: Queen to take her to. Yes. I think so. Good old Queenie. Good sport, wasn't she there?
0: Yeah. uh, I I mean, she she was in great shape to jump out of that plane. She she earned her money that year. (laughs) She earned her money. All those stamps (laughs) finally paid off. She delivered. (laughs) Anyway, moving on. So Ava Duvernay, I hope I pronounced that correctly, director of uh, A Wrinkle in Time. She's got the world at her feet at the moment. She actually passed on the opportunity to direct Black Panther.
1: Oh, that's a bit of a Because an she wanted right to do
0: um, A Wrinkle in Time, which came out in the UK, I think, last week. It came mm. out in the States a couple of weeks back. Um, To okay fanfare, and everyone said she's done a good enough job, Um, but she has landed a role directing a New Gods movie with Warner Brothers. Now, John, you wouldn't have heard of them. New Gods is basically another comic book adaptation that's coming through. Um, This is set in the Batman universe and everything else. It just shows Warner Brothers really ain't got a fucking clue what they're doing at the moment, and they are just going, people like you, can you say you're with us, and give them lots of money? I think it's great to see someone like Ava DuVernay Coming into a, a basically a middle-aged white man directed culture, which is uh, other than Paddy Jenkins, of course, in DC. So that's kind of cool. But man, imagine passing on Black Panther. Yeah, that
1: feels like not investing in Bitcoin a year ago, doesn't it? <laughs> Sorry, I've said that about three times on this podcast, but you know.
0: Well, there we go. Maybe if uh, maybe well, it's never too late, John. Go invest now. Um, but um, might not recommend that. But, you know, St. Paddy's Day over the weekend. Uh, Mark Hamill was the international guest of honour in Dublin for St. Patrick's Day. What a random guy to pick, but it was absolutely hilarious. His Twitter feed... I mean, he's a genius anyway on Twitter and all forms of social media, but in particular, he was hilarious of the stuff he was tweeting on St. Paddy's Day. He was very much, uh, not very tastefully dressed for the occasion and was just tweeting hilarious things like uh, kiss me, I'm an Irish Jedi or I don't know, that's probably a terrible adaptation of what he was saying there but he was tweeting hilarious stuff and um, I think half the reason why he's been doing the rounds recently is because The Last Jedi comes out on Blu-ray at the end of the month and they're starting to release online deleted scenes and just general tidbits from the film and Laura Dern, uh, you might know her from Jurassic Park she has a huge role in, uh, in the new Last Jedi movie and... She plays a really strong, vibrant character, really interesting, lots of layers. And a lot of people come out of that movie saying she does a great turn and is really inspirational and everything else. And I'm not not saying she's not at all, but here's something quite funny. If you actually watch any of her scenes again when she has a laser gun out, and she's confirmed this in an interview now since, and it's become a meme, she goes, I was just having a bit of fun on set. So every time I pulled out my pretend gun, I'd go, pew, pew, pew. And like they actually kept it in, and they just, (laughs) you just see her mouth move and say that during the scenes, (laughs) which is quite funny. And that kind of took over social media for a little bit. But speaking about weird movies, Shia LaBeouf, all right, the man who is. Just pure joy to the world in every everything he does. Um, he's greenlit for a biopic of himself. It's going to be called Honey Boy. It's found its lead... In a young actor called Lucas Hedges, who um, made his name for himself in Manchester by the Sea, it's about the complicated relationship he has with his father and being a child actor. I mean, this is just such a Shia LaBeouf thing to do. It's yeah, so meta, this is
1: the most Shia LaBeouf, and he's had a very interesting life, right? To, well, you had to to become a character like him, uh, but yeah, I mean, that's that's quite an ego centric thing to do at that age, isn't it? He's been in a lot of stuff, though, right? Yeah, I, I'm not knocking it. I, I I'll totally watch it. I'm down for this.
0: Look, is it this much of a far stretch? Of the imagination. He's not going to be
1: in it. Then
0: uh, we don't know yet. We just know that he is producing. <laughs> And I think he might even be attached to do more, but I think from what the research I've done so far, it's just that he is definitely attached to produce. Mm. Um, Like I say, it's more focused on the relationship of his father than his actual film career. But come on, is this a far stretch of the imagination to think that the guy who rented a cinema to do a movie marathon of his entire back (laughs) catalogue, where he camped out the entire time in the cinema whilst just basically letting his fans in, and he wore a weird tuxedo and applauded every movie like it was the coming of Christ.
1: <laughs> yeah. I
0: mean, yeah, is it a far stretch to imagine that he would greenlight his own biopic? The pic? world's a better place to have people
1: like that, isn't
0: it? <laughs> to be fair, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, you you've got to applaud the, ex- the eccentricity to it all, and you
1: just got to just absorb the show, right? Yeah, and, the, you know, child actors, what chance have they got when they become adults? Come on, they're always going to be a little bit... Funky. Well,
0: I don't see the Macaulay Culkin biopic coming out anytime soon, do you? So, so shy. That would be a That would be fucking mental, wouldn't it? That would happen. Do you know, um, Taika Waitiki? Mm-hmm. speaking of... I don't know why I've come on this tangent, but Taika Waitiki actually scripted a Bubbles movie. You know the monkey that was with Michael Jackson yeah. like, for a lot of his career? Yeah. Like, Taika Waitiki has a project, which he's been trying to get off the ground for ages, which hasn't happened yet, of a biopic about the monkey. Wow.
1: Yeah. That's got to have some logistical issues.
0: I'm, I'm, I'm sure. And um, they always say never work with children or or animals like, in film.
1: It's like a dark, curious
0: George. <laughs> well, look, it, well, it might always be... I've seen some things, man. Just to wrap it up, um, just back on the biopics topic, Al Capone, uh, who's already been depicted in several different incarnations, and everything else, I think my favourite I've ever seen him in is probably Boardwalk Empire, a TV show with oh. Steve Buscemi.
1: Yeah, it's brilliant.
0: Anyway, Tom Hardy is going to be playing him in a biopic, which, you know, I'm signed up, you've got my money, and they've announced that Josh Tank is going to be directing. Now, this is something I'm a bit concerned about. Josh Tank made his name directing a film called Chronicle, which introduced to us Michael B. Jordan and people like that. Fantastic. Um, but he then went and made that god-awful Fantastic Four movie, and um, and it, it tanked, pardon mm. uh, the pun from that. And, uh, yeah, he this is his first big project since, but, look, Tom Hardy, anything he signs up for, he can't do no wrong. So, and Al Capone, man, such an interesting character. So, yeah, yeah I'm looking forward to Sign this. Sign me up. What's your name? Laura. Surname? Croft. Laura, your father's gone. You can pick up where he left off. So we've long debated over video game adaptations. Can they be done? we even done a whole podcast about it. And Tomb Raider was the next one to sort of challenge the status quo on that. Now this, obviously, it has been done before. Lara Croft has been portrayed by Angelia Jolie in the early 2000s. I think it was the early 2000s, yeah, early 2000s, 2001 and 2003, um, where the sequel, Cradle of Life, came out. And the uh, latest adaptation is actually based on a reboot of the video game franchise. So in 2013, Square Unix um, completely started from scratch. The concept was that Lara was a, you're led to believe either in her late teens or early 20s, uh, was washed up on an island, and then throughout the course of this game, you you learn the skills to become Lara Croft, a.k.a. the Tomb Raider. And this movie follows the beats of that very, very similarly. In fact, um, Square Unix even comes up right at the start of the film, very similar to Assassin's Creed, to kind of say, hey, we're, we're working hand in glove with the computer game company that have brought this story to you. So this is their first attempt at bringing that rebooted franchise to the big screen. Now, it's got Alicia Vikander, who I pronounced her name terribly wrong in the last podcast, playing the lead. You might have known her from her turn in Ex Machina. She's been in loads of films, but that's the main one for me that that really stands out. It's also got Dominic West uh, playing her father in this one. Actually, is a real prominent figure in the storyline. So the storyline is that Lara is... Uh, it starts off she's living in London she is very much estranged from her family her father disappeared seven years ago and she's been kind of like a hipster living off the streets and the film basically spends about 40 minutes in London building up this premise which I'm not sure if it really pays off really I mean you could have you could have done it in a clever flashback or maybe just like 10 minutes at the start there's a funny sort of I don't call it a cameo but there's a nice bit of Nick Frost Mm -hmm. uh, randomly in it and he's, he's in it at the end as well to kind of tail that off uh, but basically, the long and short of it is, is that Lara has run away from her, both figuratively and emotionally, from her, the, her parents, uh, her mum passing and her dad disappearing and presumed dead. And eventually she stumbles upon some evidence to suggest that she must go to this island in Japan, off the coast of Japan, should I say, to find out where her father uh, disappeared to. The story, like I say, mimics the video game very closely um, in terms of the story beat. So she goes to the island. There's a I won't go into details, but she'll she'll going. There's an event that happens on the island which forces her to to basically have to harness the skills that she eventually utilises to become Tomb Raider. Now, Alicia Vikander plays the role, in my opinion, to a T. She does a really interesting accent, but to be fair, it's a far better English accent than even we can do. To be fair, but it was a it's an interesting portrait. Uh, take on the character and I think she does it really well she's in amazing shape for this I think the first scene opens up with her doing kickboxing and you can just see how ripped she is like she has really put attention to this apparently she does her own stunts which is absolutely incredible there's some really interesting action set pieces like I say in that scenes in London she even does like a bike chase where um, a lot of effort has gone into the set pieces of this That's kind of where my positives start to become negative because the whole idea of building this story up so she goes to the island and develops these skills to become the Tomb Raider, um, it doesn't really happen. She basically ends up on the island and pretty much becomes a superhero instantly. Um, It's almost like she can't do no wrong.
1: Now, Does does she have a butler like I used to beat up in Tomb Raider 1 you remember where you are were yeah you can skirts. lock
0: him in the fridge yeah. No, uh, they, they, they don't make I think they might make reference to the butler like he might be someone might be called the butler's name but
1: I couldn't remember what his name <laughs> I don't think there is any reference to the butler <laughs> he's probably a bigger character when you're playing the game and you trap him in the fridge yeah you know? but you
0: remember it was Rimmer from um, Red Dwarf would play the butler role in the Angelia Jolie movies oh really yeah 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 classic but um, anyway it took too long to get to the island and when she does get to the island the reason why the games worked okay the reason why the the reboot works was because she barely fires a gun, she um she goes through a transition, she goes from one state to another, she goes from being vulnerable and weak to being a strong, independent character that can defeat these foes, and you believe it because you literally live every step through that game. You have to you have to heal her when she's injured, you have to learn skills which in previous games and incarnations would have been just academic and very easy for them to do. I don't ever feel that Alicia Vikander's Tomb Raider ever has to earn the right. She turns up at the island and she goes through these massive adventure set pieces, which are absolutely spectacular to watch. But you think, wait a minute, you were like a vulnerable kid 20 minutes ago. Now all of a sudden you're able to take on an army sort of thing.
1: Yeah, it doesn't sound like there's much story arc. No, there her. isn't
0: at all. And I think this is kind of a trap that maybe a lot of writers fall into, which is... They look at this film and say, All right, it's 2018. I need to portray a strong woman. I need to show a strong woman on screen. And it literally manifests itself into being a literal strong woman. Like, she can do no wrong. She jumps from planes to to the ground and, and wrestles any man in her way or any woman in her way and can, can use any tools to her imagination. And you think... That's 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 great spectacle, but it's not a lasting spectacle because there's no heart to it. Mm. Where if you think of performances like uh, like I think of um, Therese Ron in in um, Atomic Blonde, she I mean she gives as good as she gets. She gets beaten up a lot because she just yeah that's just the situation she's in. I don't ever feel that. Lara Croft is vulnerable in this film so it kind of takes away the suspense Mm. so that was kind of that was kind of lame really from that perspective and there's lots of great action set pieces in this film as I said before but it just feels like they've designed the the set pieces to mimic the set pieces from the game it pretty much follows beat for beat some bits and then it kind of has these interconnection tissue scenes where The dialogue's not particularly great, you don't feel the emotion and you don't understand the gravity of what she's trying to achieve because you've only really just learned of these things within the last 30 seconds.
1: Is this the reboot that no one really asked for?
0: This was the reboot no one asked for, but everyone was intrigued when they heard. So when you hear, oh, great, another Tomb Raider. No, 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 seriously, they rebooted it with the games first. and They've done a really, really good job. Oh, yeah, I heard they've done a good job with that. Okay, fair enough. I'll, they got my attention. I was really looking forward to this, to be honest. I really thought that this was going to be absolutely incredible. And um, another slight complaint, it's called Tomb Raider. She doesn't raid many tombs. <laughs> like there's obviously she, there is a tomb, but it's not like it's like it only really makes itself prominent in the third act, which is in, you know, the last sort of 15 minutes of the film. So a lot happens in that that last sort of period. I don't know how well it's doing in the box office, but I went to an empty cinema to see this, which was great for me. I could put my feet up and make notes during the film, but I don't know how this is faring in the box office
1: is this a kind of niche, niche nostalgia kind of film for people who like the game do you think
0: uh i know because the reboot that it's basing itself on it's only been around for like three years or whatever so i i don't know that it's going to pull on those sort of strings i think here's the problem right if you look at games like uncharted or uh, the last of us or the new tomb raider game they have gone with the attitude of making a really cinematic experience. So they've gone, right, we're going to make these games where they're kind of like action events, where your girlfriend can play along with you and actually find it interesting or whatever. And some, obviously, big film producers have seen this and gone, oh, my God, this will translate on the big screen amazingly. And the difference is it doesn't seem to translate too well onto the big screen. These great... uh, the Action-wise, it's incredible. It's one of the best action films I've ever seen. Because there's no real development on the vulnerability of the character, when she does achieve the impossible of jumping from an airplane, from a from a fountain, sorry, from a waterfall onto a tree, carrying a parachute and swinging the parachute down to the ground and managed to pull out of her stomach the, the piece of metal she landed on without needing any antiseptic, you'd think, well... I haven't seen you progress to this. Like, Mm. all of a sudden, you're just incredible. And that's I think, is the biggest downfall of the film. I think they should have dialled down the action just a little bit and worked more on the character development. We would have been talking about a five-star masterpiece, and it's another great footnote in the history of women in cinema. Unfortunately, it's going to be quite forgettable for those reasons now. Um, It is enjoyable, some great action pieces. It probably has done just enough to deserve a sequel. I think, like I say, Alicia Vikander is absolutely fantastic in this. She really does embody this new adaptation of Lara Croft fantastically. But, like I say, it is lacking. So I'm going three out of five. It is a recommendation. Do go see it. But um, don't expect your whole world to be changed as a result of it.
1: Now I see the lightness. The recklessness. Ah! Close the tomb
0: once and for all. The fate of humanity is now in your hands.
1: So the game that everyone's talking about, (laughs) Flinty, in the circle of two, that's me and you, uh, Connect the Dots. You tasked me last week with, uh, how many points did I score? 12. 12? You didn't double it. Oh, I didn't double it. I gambled. I didn't double it. Oh dear. Okay, you tasked me with uh, making a jingle. I should point out that
0: John is actually a musical genius, so don't want to overhype this. But I haven't heard this yet. I'm really looking
1: forward to hearing what this guy produces. You just overhyped it, I'm afraid. But um, this took about 12 minutes earlier. I will say. <laughs> I wanted. I was inspired by your uh, your Audible jingle that you made as an example. On the last podcast, so I kind of took from that and made a jingle. <laughs> uh Here, here it
0: goes. I'm going to call it "Connect the Dots." At the moment, imagine some hilarious. Connect the dots. Connect the dots. Connect the dots. Connect the dots. You
1: can't connect
0: the dots looking forward. Hilarious. Connect the dots. Connect the dots. Connect the dots. Connect the dots. You can only
1: connect them looking backwards. Something like that playing in the background. <laughs> Okay, so that's, that's your Connect the Dots j- jingle. I, it, I wanted to make something hip that the kids are listening could listen to, maybe. I think
0: they're going to be playing this on their boomboxes. It's going to be blazing up the charts. Yeah, It's going to be number
1: we're, one, Lucky Dust. We're still cool, right? Number two, Connect the Dots. <laughs> okay, then. First one, Flinty. Right, hit me. Okay, so... Hopefully, these are films that you know and like. You- well, like I said, while you're,
0: you're getting that ready, so the premise of Connect the Dots, John has got a list of films and he's got a list of casts, members of those films. He's going to read out the top 10 from that cast list, starting with number 10, working his way up. If I can guess the film before he reaches the top list, I get the number of points depending on that position. So if I guess what the film is when he's up to number four on the list, I get four points. Obviously, it starts at the bottom, it gets more obscure as you work your way up to the top.
1: Okay, for 10 points. Bruno Doyen. Nope, don't know. Alexander Gudanov. Uh, uh, Star Wars, The Last Jedi. Alan Rickman. Uh, Harry Potter. James Shagita. Die Hard. Boom, for seven points. Yes! Not bad, not bad. You're gonna have to do better than seven points to beat Martin, no, no, no you're not. I keep feeling I've got 22 points. No, you've got
0: 12. But okay.
1: I've, got a, I've got a better. Not bad, All okay. Right, next. Next one. Here we go. Bill Nunn. Uh, Pirates of the Caribbean. Jerry Becker. Uh, Pass. Joe Mangelio.
0: Good to know you're not butchering names. No. Oh, (laughs) wait a minute, wait a minute. Uh, Justice League. J.K.
1: Simmons. Justice League. Rosemary Harris. I don't know. Cliff Robertson. Oh, no. I don't know. James Franco. Oh, shit. Um, The Interview. Kirsten Dunst. Oh, um um oh,
0: god, it's on the tip of my tongue. Uh uh oh, Spider Man. Yes. <laughs> Spider Man. Oh JK Simmons but four points. Who would have no. known That JK Simmons and um and that dude out of Magic Mike, who's also in Justice League have been they have been in loads of films together. Randomly. Ah, you got me. Okay. Okay, how and many you points had, are we I mean, on at the moment? So you got
1: four in that. Yeah. Um what was what did you get in the Seven. Seven. So I'm on eleven. So you need two. Okay. Okay. Here we go. This is an interesting one. Okay. Kelsey Grammer. X-Men, Last Stand. Terry Crews. Uh, I don't know. Randy Couture. I don't know. Dolph Lundgren. Oh, um, oh my God, The Expendables 3. Yes! Yes! <laughs> See, that's, a, that's got a stellar cast, right? Oh, so my God, it is. Wesley it's... Snipes, Mel Gibson, Schwarzenegger, Harrison Ford, Jason Statham, and Sylvester Stallone. That's a good cast. That's an incredible car. So, I, how many points to that? Where, where was I? You go on Dolph Lundgren. So, you got seven points for that.
0: Seven. So, sixteen. Sixteen. So, points. I, I, did you did you pick a writer for the double double or well, it's not double or nothing, just to double it.
1: Okay. Here we go.
0: So, basically, what happens now is John picks a writer of one of those three films, and tells me that person's name, and I've got to guess the film that they wrote. Go.
1: Okay, Flinty, to double. Your winnings. Roderick Thorpe. That uh, name really actually does
0: ring a bell. Did he write...
1: Die Hard. Yes, well done, well yes! done. Yes, yes. absolutely slaughtered me there. So how many points have I got? Uh, you... 34. 34. 34! Well done, Flinty, well so,
0: if you've got an idea for films to connect the dots with, send them through on Twitter at TalkFilmyToMe. Connect the dots, connect the dots. Connect the dots, connect the dots. You can't connect the dots looking you follow. Hilarious. Connect the dots, the dots. Connect the dots, connect the, dots connect the dots. You can only connect them looking backwards. Something like that playing in the background. Streaming gems. This all can be proved It's quite mind-blowing.
1: New York Times is breaking tomorrow. Tomorrow. <laughs> that has the potential of affecting the credibility of all sport. Why would I watch
0: an event that's fixed? So you may have heard over the recent past couple of pods as well as on the Oscars that there's a Netflix original documentary called Icarus that's uh, now available as part of your subscription with Netflix and we decided to sit down and, and pull it apart, have a little look at it and just actually be cheerful about some Netflix original content which is kind of weird considering the subject matter. Um, this is directed and wrote by a chap called Brian Fogel, who is a... Uh, i think it's fair to say a bit of a cycling nut um, it goes in really weird directions this um this documentary but the original concept is that brian fogel went and participated in an event in germany which is like the highest um amateur cycling event in the calendar and uh, he finished although he's a very very good cyclist he finished something like 11th or 12th and he was a a good distance away from the top 10 and he, he come to his own conclusion although there's a lot of evidence to suggest that a lot of people in the amateur biking circuit are using performance enhancing drugs to get to the level they're at now and obviously this coincides and reflects very similarly to the professional sport where someone like Lance Armstrong can go dominate for such a long time unfortunately was was cheating the entire time so this documentary he set out was that over a course of a year to take performance-enhancing drugs to cheat the system to be able to, to do very well, hopefully win in this event. That's the premise of the documentary to begin with. John, what did you
1: think from the start of that? Yeah, from the f- I was gripped straight away from the first half hour. When I heard about... It was a two-hour documentary about doping cyclists. I wasn't that drawn, but at the same time, I, f- I heard it was great. So... For the first half hour, it is that. And that's where you think it's going. And to be fair, it gripped me completely. And I was like, "Okay, I can do this. He's going to like win the Tour de France or some crazy shit. Um, So he's obviously (laughs) doping it. It's helping his performance, doing it all secretly. But what it becomes is an incredible kind of space by thriller, Russian espionage. I think before, before we dive into that, it's just one thing.
0: Couldn't you help but notice, it just felt like Brian Fogle just wanted to take performance-enhancing drugs and this was just an avenue for him to do it, quote-unquote, legally. Yeah,
1: it, it was an interesting... He kind of stumbled himself into something way more interesting, I think. But I think part of him might have been... The ego part of him might have been a little bit disappointed that, that obviously... the documentary that he was trying to make was probably he wins a big competition and he, he and cheated he, the system yeah else, and he yeah. says look look what they've done you know this happens it's easy to do it's easy to fool the system so over the course of this documentary he meets with doping experts
0: he meets with nutritionists personal trainers but more importantly people who work in the testing side of of sports cheat detection and that led him to meet a man in russia who was part of the russian um testing screening services for the sochi 2014 winter olympics and this guy was very open and very freely given him information on how to cheat uh, going through various tests of performance enhancing drugs now over the course of this year while he's preparing towards this that's when actually the big russian doping scandal came afoot um Icarus does not claim to be the journalistic integrity that broke the story. They are very clear it is not them that broke this. It was a German newspaper that started bringing this to to light, but they were part of this journey. So one of the contacts that that Brian made in Russia was actually the head of the anti-doping authority for drug control. He was the director, actually, and he was so freely giving up the information. Mm. And it it opened up a whole worldwide phenomenon of of doping in the sport, especially in Russia. It led to Russia being excluded from a fucking Olympics. And then
1: re-included, mostly.
0: Oh, yeah, just under a different flag, obviously. (laughs) But but, um, it's just... The tangent this story goes off and it's all i mean that's not spoiler like we're not going into spoiler territory here because it's all well-known facts and you kind of they kind of allure to it right at the start you know when the intro credits open you realize as john said this is not just about trying to reenact what lance armstrong done this is much bigger
1: mm. i mean a, a great expose documentary should in the end make you feel really angry about something up in arms and this does that because With so much going on uh, in Russia, in the news, whether it be the hacking, the election in 2016, which is obviously going to carry on and keep going until something happens with old Trumpy, or is it, you know, the uh, assassinations on British soil that have been happening recently Uh, over the last few years? I mean, they're really looking into all of them. And watching this, it just provides, you know, proof of... How the Russian state operate in a sporting uh, kind of theatre, and how they lied so blatantly about it, and it just really lends credence to the the fact that oh, they're going to do that with sport and the Olympics, but they're not going to do that with anything else. It it all just kind of adds up to paint Putin in a, a terrible light, and I think a very justifiably bad light, and it's something that everyone needs to see because you hear a lot of conspiracy theorists the other side these days saying oh they're framing russia and you hear it out of the state of russia russophobia <laughs> Russophobia. you know people are being racist <laughs>
0: towards russians i thought people just not liking people called russell yeah <laughs> well that's fair enough, fair enough. But in terms of as a documentary right so yeah the story is absolutely fantastic so it's already intrigued us right it's already pulled you in but A documentary, like you say, in my my mind as well, it feels like it should educate you and inform you. And I think that it does a really good job of educating and informing you the state of the of the system in russia for how athletes become athletes and how a lot of athletes unfortunately have to stoop to this because it's just that's the common practice i think there's even a quote where it's uh, the russian director saying i used to be a, a marathon runner and i'd come home from work and my mother would give me my steroids and i would go to bed and that was just the, the culture uh, the only thing it didn't do and it probably done this for good reason it didn't really go into the details of the drugs that they do take for performance. I would have liked to have known a little bit more but then again they might have been accused of educating people on doping from that yeah, perspective
1: they definitely kept mentioning one over and over again um, but yeah I know what you mean maybe they were a bit careful about do they want to advertise that side of things
0: yeah but when when there's scenes where I don't know if you call them scenes but segments where they're talking about the results of when they've actually managed to catch some people and um, they were talking about the drugs in their system now to me they're just a bunch of letters until you tell me oh actually if you take this drug you are going to have an unfair advantage and this is the effects of using this but also I would have been interested to know the effects of the what, what happens to people after they've competed in the Olympics you don't see that many grey haired um, Olympians from Russia do you mm. so what's the, what's the long term repercussions on the user's health as well um, they didn't really go down that avenue I think it was more to do with the controversy of what was happening in in Russia at the time
1: yeah Uh, I mean this is an incredible documentary I think and a really important expose as well so I recommend anyone watch it get a real insight into a small uh, you know small part of how the Putin regime kind of works and it is very interesting and very important I'm going to go with five stars plenty Four I think, and
0: a half, maybe five. Ah, uh, let's go five. I think it's worthy. It's definitely worthy of it. Um yeah, it's it's highly recommended. Go see it. Educate yourself on it. It's definitely worth. It's Oscar, and, and it's, that was it.
1: That was the first Netflix Oscar, was it? Yes, the first Netflix Oscar. Very well deserved, and I, I'm not surprised it's a documentary because Netflix documentaries lead the way. They're really good. The only thing they don't do very well is original films <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. as we've talked about at length well find out next time when we do
0: our special on Annihilation which hopefully will drop over the next week or so not technically a Netflix original but it's got the branding and we're calling it so there we go anyway Icarus 5 out of 5
1: need to escape. Putin will kill me
0: holy shit Putin calls the claims the slander of a turncoat two people connected with the Russian doping program are already dead there never was anti-doping in Russia. Ever. Thank you for taking the time to listen to this podcast. If you've enjoyed listening to this as much as we've enjoyed making it, please click on the subscribe the follow, the whatever button it takes for you to get more content from us. My name's been Adam Flint. You can find us on Twitter at me. I want to thank my OG guest, my main man, my Turner to my hooch, my K to my nine, my Felmer to my Louise. John, how can people find you? Uh, you can find me
1: at Descamento on Twitter.
0: The next podcast that will be coming in your ears will be a podcast special about Annihilation, the latest Netflix original. Following that, our regular program will return with a review of Pacific Rim Uprising, as well as a Netflix original and possibly even a feature. We might even connect some dots. Till next time.
1: We're down in the basement. We'll lock the cellar door and baby.
0: Talk filmy to me.